Well, let's uh, take a moment. Let's welcome First Norfolk on Volvo campus right now. So everybody, let's welcome them. What a joy it is for them to join us, for you to be a part of this family of faith uh, as we seek to serve God's glory in Hampton Roads and around the world. Thank you for being here, and I'm so excited for this moment to gather together as the family of faith. As we do gather, I want us to take a moment, uh, First Norfolk on Kempsville and First Norfolk on Volvo, I want us to take a moment uh, to uh, honor uh, one of our own. Uh, for several years, uh, he has worked diligently and, and made trips to uh, a particular educational institution. He has uh, studied, he has written, he has written and rewritten and rewritten some more. Uh, and uh, he's taken uh, uh, surveys and polls and compiled those things together. And since Friday, where he defended his dissertation uh, and passed, uh, we want to celebrate now Philip Herring, EDD. Dr. Philip Herring, and we want to thank God for him and all that he does for our family of faith. Uh, he is a uh, wonderful friend, and he and Jan and their family uh, are so close to us, and we're thankful for them and thankful for what God is doing through that. So we, you see Philip in the hallway at the end of the service, you're going to uh, uh, have opportunities perhaps to, to see him or uh, maybe during the week you'll see him. Uh, just uh, congratulate him and tell him how much uh, he means to you. And that's part of what we're doing here today. You know, part of getting together as a family of faith is taking the opportunities that God gives us uh, really to, to honor uh, one another. And, and we have been journeying together uh, looking at different aspects of what makes First Norfolk who we are. And certainly the Navy and uh, the uh, uh, military has a lot to do with the makeup of First Norfolk. It, it is an integral part to who we are and, and has been for our 200 plus year history. Uh, it has connected and we have connected with uh, our military and our armed forces and whatever branch, uh, but mostly the Navy here, uh, but whatever branch we have found uh, an affinity and membership. Many of you are here today uh, because of the armed forces and, and bringing you to this area. Uh, some of you are first-timers here, uh, brought here uh, by uh, the Navy or the military, and, and that does go to play with what uh, and who we are. Uh, that being said, have you ever noticed how uh, people behave when they see someone in uniform? Uh, how different it is. If, if someone walks in uh, in uh, their uh, Navy uniform or, or some other uniform, they, they'll walk in and immediately there is a sense of respect that is offered to those wearing uh, that uniform. I, I see it when I travel and I fly in an airplane uh, you'll see the people respond differently to those who uh, are carrying the colors of our military uh, on their body. They, you'll see them if it's a group in camouflage and, or, or a group in, in, in particular formal 
uh, uniforms, you'll see them walk in and immediately the people respond differently. They'll walk up and they'll shake hands and, and they'll smile and, and, and many times you'll see them stand. I've, I've been sitting in a, a waiting area waiting to board a flight and a, a couple of military guys walked up and you could see different individuals just begin to stand just at the sight of that uniform and the person wearing it. And the reason is because we want to honor those who are serving for our benefit. Uh, even this week, men and women in harm's way serving on behalf of us, uh, serving sacrificially for you and me. And, and for that reason, we want to honor that, and it's right to honor that. Uh, that kind of service does something to us. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at what makes First Norfolk who we are, and, and we, we looked at our vision, and we looked at our mission, and and, and today, uh, we're, we're continuing looking at the values that we hold dear as a church. The first value that we looked at a couple of weeks ago was God's glory, uh, expressing honor to God in every area of our life. That's something we value at First Norfolk, um, and probably the ultimate value that we have at First Norfolk. The second value that we looked at was uh, Christ's love, experiencing the love of Christ as the greatest delight of life. Uh, and we looked at that last week. Today we're looking at authentic relationships because you're not going to have a church if you don't have people tied together in an authentic way. Uh, this is something that the Spirit of God does, but we're here today and we are First Norfolk because uh, we are in relationship together. And so uh, we believe it's important to have authentic relationships. If you have a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at this passage and we're going to kind of break it down and see how authentic relationships happen, especially in the church and how uh, we can experience those relationships ourselves and, and participate in that. Uh, while you're turning to Philippians 2, uh, just let you understand that this is something that the gospel requires of us. Authentic relationships, relationships with one another, this is something that the gospel uh, wants from us. And as we look at Philippians 2, we see how that we get to that place. Essentially, the value that we're looking at is simply this, serving people with the sacrificial love of Jesus. Now, you might say, well, how does that lead to authentic relationships? And I would say, uh, the Bible teaches that this is the key to experiencing authentic relationships. Now, as we look through this, we'll see how that comes to pass. But, but uh, serving people with the sacrificial love of Jesus, that's, that's who we are called First Norfolk. That's not something we aspire to be. That's who we are because that's what the gospel has done. The gospel sets the atmosphere uh, for authentic relationships. The, the gospel sets this atmosphere for us to experience and to live by and in authentic relationships. Relationships that are healthy, marked by love, marked by joy, and marked by unity of purpose and life. That's the kind of relationships we want. And that's the kind of relationships that God has established at First Norfolk. And he does that through the gospel. All right, so, so here's what I want you to understand. Uh, the, the, the fundamental ingredients that lead to authentic and healthy, life-giving, joy-fulfilling relationships is already here. It's something that God has already planted in us through the gospel. We see in 
Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. If you just go up a couple of sentences. Philippians 1, 27, Paul says, uh, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, by which you were called. He's saying, hey, listen, we want to live in such a way that we honor the gospel that has brought us into life. Y'all know the gospel, right? And if it, let me go ahead and just spell it out. The gospel is that God sent Jesus, who is uh, uh, and always has been God, God sent Jesus, fully God, to become flesh and bone, to live among us. Jesus let go the glory and the garb of heaven to take on the skin and the sandals of a man. And, and, and he lived his life uh, on this earth displaying who God is, but he did it in a sinless way. Jesus never sinned. And so his sinless perfection, then he leveraged that sinless perfection as a sacrifice so that he would die for sinners uh, and provide an opportunity when we place our faith in Christ to provide an opportunity for us to find friendship with God. Now, that's the gospel. And, and what happens is Jesus um, takes those of us, and all of us, we're dead in our sin and our trespass. He takes us when we're dead, and through faith and by God's grace, he makes us alive. And that's what the gospel does. We were dead, but now we live, all because of the gospel, all because of what Jesus has done for us. We've been made alive. We have new life, new birth. So that's the gospel, but the gospel has abiding influence in our everyday life. If it doesn't, then we never received it to begin with, and I want you to hear that. If the gospel doesn't have abiding influence in your everyday life, then you never received it to begin with. All right, so, so this gospel shapes us. It shapes the way we see ourselves. It sh shapes how we live in relationship with another. It shapes this church. Now, in Philippians chapter 2, in the verse two, first two verses, Paul outlines um, what the gospel has done for us and how that leads to healthy, authentic, joy-filled, um, love-saturated, unity-produced relationships. All right, so, so look at the first two verses. Paul, Paul writes, he says... Um, Therefore, based upon the gospel's work in your life, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now, what Paul does is he describes... The life that we have because of the gospel's work in our life. It, it describes our attitude, our perspective. And, and, and as we look at these two verses, as we unpa unpack it a little bit, I want you to see what the gospel does for you. Now, this is our reality. Paul uses four phrases. If there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort in love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, um, having the same love, being of one mind, of one accord. Now, what is that? What are all those if statements? Well, in, in the language of the text, those if statements are such that they mean Paul saying, hey, this is what I assume to be your reality if indeed you're a follower of Jesus. If indeed you have 
been transformed by God's grace through the gospel, then this is your reality. Not this is what I hope you have eventually, but this is who you are. Okay, so what does he say we are? We are people who have the consolation of Christ, the comfort of love, the, the, uh, the fellowship of the Spirit, and, and, and uh, affection and mercy. These are things that make us who we are. That, that's, that's who you are. Now, as followers of Jesus and as First Norfolk, I'm so thrilled to be part of this family of faith because this really is our reality. The, the gospel does make us people who are overwhelmed, who are saturated, who are soaked in the consolation of Christ. Another way to say it, the joy of Christ. So when we look at who we are, here's what the gospel has done. The gospel has given us this encouragement in Christ, this joy in Christ, this comfort in Christ. He's he's given us all these things because he's taken us out of the shame and the cell of our Sin and brought us into the liberty and life of, of his love. He, he's given us a brand new life. So, so we once were dead, living in darkness, but now we live and, and are living in the light. This is who we are. We've been transformed. And that was accomplished in our lives. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you know the joy that that brought you. You remember? Do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember the celebration when you escaped the cell of your sin and, and experienced the liberty that Christ through his death on the cross provided? Do you remember? Do you remember? We celebrated Resurrection Sunday a couple of days ago. Do you remember when you were spiritually resurrected? Do you remember? Do you remember the joy of your life? Well, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, okay, because you have experienced that resurrection life, because you have been made new through faith in Christ, then there is joy that happens in you. And that joy is contagious. And that, that encouragement begins to flow, not just in you, but with one another. You know, one of the things I've noticed about people is they like to be where other people are happy. You know? Uh, you want to go to places not only where they know your name... But you want to go to places that are filled with joy. Hey, uh, the other night, my uh, second daughter is getting married in, in a few weeks. And... <laughs> no, we're excited about it. Love, love that young man. Um, and uh, anyway, it, she, she's getting uh, married in, in a few weeks. And, and so uh, her sisters and, and some of her friends uh, on the peninsula threw her a bridal something party something something i don't know if that's what it was but she she they had a party and it was a surprise party elizabeth did not know that that party was going to take place and so uh, through secrecy and all these type things they 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 organized it they coordinated it and they made it so that when elizabeth walked into the room it was a surprise so so we got a video later that night we weren't invited why was i not invited we were not invited and and uh, we, we got a video later that night, and it shows Elizabeth walking through the door, and, and then uh, everybody, the whole room, filled with voices of cheering and celebration, surprise. And, and you know what Elizabeth did? She danced. She gave a little dance because she was so excited, because people were joyful and celebrating her. Look, church 
This is who we are. That event, that moment is a picture of who we are as the church. Where we are people who once were lost but now found. Once were dead but now alive. Once were blind but now see. We are the people of a transformed life gathered together so that we can celebrate and share joy with one another. Oh my goodness, if that doesn't build a strong foundation for authentic relationships. Not only do we have the consolation of Christ, but we also have the comfort of love. Let me just talk about the comfort of love a little bit. This is the love of God poured out through Jesus Christ that comes to us and nourishes our soul and gives us hope and peace and, and, and joy and, 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 and comfort. This is the love of Christ that died for us on a cross. This is the love that, that soaks our soul so that we who have been soaked in the love of Christ might surround each other with that love. Do you realize that you are here not simply so that you can soak in the love of Jesus, although, boy, do some soaking today, but also so that you can surround others with that love. This is what the gospel does for us, called First Norwich. This is our reality. This isn't something that should happen. This is something that is who we are. We have the comfort of love. We have the fellowship of the Spirit. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but let me just say, you're not here because you chose to be here. You're here because the Spirit of God made you part of this family of faith. United our hearts together where two people, two followers of Jesus are together and we uh, as two followers of Jesus are submitted and yielded and filled by the Spirit of God, then make no mistake, we will walk in unity. Doesn't mean that we're going to be alike. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be the same. I mean, some of you all don't look like me. You got hair on your head. You don't dress like me. That's okay. That's not what unity is. Unity is where we, living under the same banner, move forward with the same purpose. And the banner that we live under is the love of Christ that has saved our soul. And the direction we move together is for the glory of God. And the Spirit of God has worked this in us. Unites us together in a supernatural way. We have the fellowship of the Spirit. We have affection and mercy. This is um, the compassion and the mercy of Jesus that has been poured out of him toward us. And then as it fills us, we pour it out toward others. You realize you have comp compassion and mercy. You know, people have accused me of not being a merciful person. My own family has accused me of not being mercy-driven. <laughs> And there is certainly truth to the fact that my natural inclination is not toward mercy, but I've got mercy. I've got a full supply of mercy. You know why? Because I've got a full supply of Jesus. And when I'm yielded to him and I'm walking in the spirit the way I'm supposed to, then I will have mercy and compassion for you and you for me. This is what the gospel does. All these ingredients lead to the kind of relationships that we long to have, relationships that are marked by joy Love, unity of life and purpose. This is the kind of direction that we need to go. So why don't we have it in the church always? Why is there some disconnect? Well, because selfishness rails against service. And sometimes, many times, perhaps often, selfishness wins. 
So as Paul is writing, he's, he's talking about us in the church and how we are to live um, in, in authentic relationships with each other. And we understand that the gospel sets the atmosphere for those relationships with the, uh, uh, the encouragement of Christ, the comfort of love, the fellowship of the Spirit, and affection and mercy. We understand that. But, but we, need, we need more. We, we, we need uh, in order to apply it to our life and our relationships, especially in the church, how do we, how do we get uh, on toward application? Well, uh, in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4, really complete, but it's always, verses 1 through 4, and everything I'm saying today lives under the shadow of Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Now, verses 5 through 11 is a different sermon, but a uh, different talk, but but let me just point you to verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, took the form of a servant, came in the likeness of man, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, given him the name which is above every other name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess, whether knees and tongues in heaven or on earth or below the earth, that Jesus is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, let me just tell you what he's saying there. He's saying, Jesus has behaved in a certain way, and we need to follow his example. Jesus sets the model for us to follow. When it comes to authentic relationships, stop, stop depending primarily on the books you've read or the things you've learned in school or the podcasts that you have on your computer or on your phone or, or, or the, the pundits that, that have been popular in, in pop culture. You, you listen to all those people and all those things, the, the, the most popular memes that pop up on Instagram. You say, yeah, that's how I'm going to get it. No, look, the way we find authentic relationships, life-satisfying, love-fulfilling relationships is when we follow the example of Jesus, not all these other things. Look, I know in my own experience, if I want the best chocolate chip cookies, I have to follow the best recipe, the recipe that gives you the best chocolate chip cookies. If I want the best chocolate cake, I need to follow the recipe that gives me the best chocolate cake. If I don't follow the recipe, I'm not going to get the best. I might get something good, but I'm not going to get the best. In the same way, we want relationships that are the best. All of us do. How do we get there? Especially in the church. How do we get there? By following the best recipe. And that's Jesus. Jesus is the one who set the model for us to follow. If you're in doubt about decisions, you want some clarity in your life, just make it simple. Go back to the simplicity of this. Well, I just want to do what Jesus would do. I know that sounds trite, and I know that there was a whole kind of campaign about what would Jesus do kind of thing, but, but guys, listen, when in doubt, make sure that you would do what Jesus would do. In relationships, that's what we're talking about. And that's why Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You want to know how to have authentic relationship, follow the model that Jesus set, and what was the model? The model was he left heaven's throne and took on flesh and bone. He, he gave up heaven so that he might give us heaven. 
He came as an obedient to God kind of servant to serve you and me salvation. This is what Jesus did. He sacrificed his life on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin so that I could live in the family of God. This is who Jesus is. This is what he does. This is how he defines the right kind of path to walk in our relationships. So if that's how Jesus did it, then we need to do it again. That's why the secret sauce of authentic relationships is serving. That's how Jesus did it. I I know this flies in the face of everything that we've been taught, everything that's been modeled, every soap opera we've ever watched. Y'all watch soap operas, haven't you? Every soap opera we've ever watched, it, it, it flies in the face of that kind of thing. You see, what we've been taught is me before you. But that's not how Jesus lived. And that's certainly not what we find in verses 3 and 4 of Philippians 2. Listen to what Paul wrote. He said, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each one esteem the other better than himself. Let each one of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now that is the secret sauce of authentic relationships. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. we got to let go selfish ambition. We've learned selfish ambition for as long as we've been alive. Selfish ambition is, I want the front of the line. Well, in kindergarten, you, you, you see these kids. I wasn't one of them, but you'd see these kids. They would push all the other kids out of the way so that they could get in the front of the line and be the first to recess or to the bathroom or to the lunch cafeteria. Regrettably, it didn't stop in kindergarten for us. Selfish ambition is alive and well. This is where selfish ambition rails against service. See, service, the attitude of Christ, where I sacrifice self for you. Man, that, that's you before me. Selfish ambition says me before you. And in our hearts and in our heads, we have these, these screaming voices, selfish ambition. Selfishness rails against this idea of service. In our hearts and in our heads. But, but if we're going to follow the model that Jesus said, if we're, going to, if we're going to experience the joy and the love and the unity of life and purpose that we crave to know, especially in the church, then we, all of us here today, all of us, we've got to let go selfish ambition and conceit. And we need to don the apron of humility. We need to put on the apron of humility. This is the model that Jesus set. And Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Oh my goodness. Isn't this how we're supposed to live in relationship to you and me and we? Especially in the church, isn't that how we're supposed to live? We're supposed to live in relationship with one another so that we give ourselves to the other 
In humility. In humility, we don the apron of service where we kneel before the other and we wash their feet. We don the apron of service and humility so that we look out for their interests above our own. We've done the math. We've tallied the score and we determine you before me. And that's hard. Everything in us rises up and says, I don't want to do that. Look, the people, and I love you guys, but the people I love most on this earth, my wife and my four daughters. Y'all get that, right? If it's a choice between hanging out with you or hanging out with them, you lose, right? You get that, right? I feel every now and then I have to say that because not everybody in the church gets that. But yeah, I mean, it's important. But even in those primary relationships, the, one who, whom, the ones whom I love best and the ones who love me the best, selfishness still raises, rails against service. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I work all day, put in, put in uh, however many hours, finally battle through traffic and the commute, get home, and all I want to do is just sit. Y'all have had those days, haven't you? All I want to do is just sit in that chair and not have, to, not have to think, not have to do anything. Just sit. I don't even want to eat. I just want to sit. The minute I walk through that door, Daddy, can you help me with... Honey, can you help me with... And I've got to tell you, That voice of selfish ambition and conceit rises up in me. Y'all have heard it, haven't you? Don't they know what I've been through? Don't they understand what I've been doing? Don't they get it? How tired I am? If they just cared about me. After all, I'm the husband. And the father. Don't they get it? Now that, that rises up in me. But when I'm walking with Jesus in a way that breeds authenticity in my relationship with my wife and my children, my, my first response is to quell that selfish ambition voice. And what begins to rise up in me, the, the even if I don't want to, I'm going to serve them. This is what creates a dynamic passion and, and, and loyalty and unity and joy and love in our relationship. It's that I am committed to serve in a sacrificial way the way Jesus has served me. That's the secret sauce. The reason I call it secret is because we, most of us, have been raised in the idea that the way you have the best relationships is when you always get your way. And that's just hog wash. Because the Bible tells me something different. The secret sauce in the relationships in our church is when we set the other before self. 
And that selfish ambition and that conceit still rises up in the church. It does, and we know it does. I mean, I'm thankful we're not where we used to be, but my goodness, we're not yet where we need to be. And, and we all have to fight and struggle against that idea of, well, I deserve. I deserve you to serve me. If you ever hear me say out loud, well, I deserve. In that moment, you need to call the deacons so that they can have a set-down conversation with me because I've gone off the rails. But as it is for Eric Thomas, part of the family of faith called First Norfolk, so it is with you as part of the family of faith of First Norfolk. If you believe that you deserve then you're violating the very thing that Paul highlights here. Let nothing, zero, be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each one esteem the other as better or more important, more significant than self. Oh my goodness! That's how we're supposed to be living. This is what provides the strength we need, the glue that we need in our relationships. So as we close today, I want to encourage you to, and really the goal of this message is to get all of us committed to serve the other. For each of us to commit ourselves to serve the other in a, in a way that, that is meaningful to the other, not just to us. I mean, right now, just look to the person to your left. Whether here at the Kinsville location or the Volvo location, look to the person to your left and say, I will serve you. I don't understand why y'all always giggle when I do this. Every, every worship gathering, everybody giggles. Now, look to the person in the, on the other side and say to them, I will serve you. Didn't that feel good? I mean, it's just a statement. It doesn't carry any weight yet. 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 See, my prayer is that we would move beyond the statement, I will serve you, to the question. How can I serve you? In a few moments, we're going to close uh, in worship and, and, and with song. And as we close, I, I'm, I'm going to ask at the Volvo location, Brent, uh, our location pastor, to come even now to the front. And Daryl Minky is there, come to the front. Kate Wilson, I think she's there. She needs to come to the front. Y'all, y'all, and whoever else is ready for that, y'all, y'all come to the front. And, and, our, and our pastors here and ministers here, we're going to be here at the front. And if you're here today and you're overwhelmed with the load of care and, and the broken pieces of your life are so overwhelming, it's not selfish for you to say, I need help. That's why we're here. That's that's. That's where the ingredients of the consolation of Christ, the comfort of love, the fellowship of the Spirit, affection and mercy, this is where it comes alive. It's where you have the courage to say, yes, I'm broken. 
And we want to come alongside you and serve you today. And if that's who you are, if you're overwhelmed, then come to this altar. Come to one of the ministers that will be here at the front. We want to pray over you and pray with you. You come and we will pray with you. But even more, as you, church family, as you see someone come to this altar, don't sit as if that's good for them. It's time for you to stand up and come. And to come alongside them and to pray over them and say, how can I serve you? In these next few moments, I pray that a revolution begins to take place in your heart as you view the other people in this place. As you see them not as just an acquaintance, or not just as, as folks that are um, uh, in the same space as you, but you begin to see each other as family because that's who we are. So right now, would you bow your heads? This altar is going to be open. And if you are here, oh my goodness, please, please take this opportunity and allow us to serve you. You're here and you're overwhelmed with care and concerns. Allow us in this moment to serve you. It may take some courage for you to step up where you are and come to this front. But guys, look, this is, this is why we're here. We're here in order to bless you, to serve you. There are people around you right now. They're waiting for the opportunity to serve somebody today. So, Father, in this place at this time, in this moment, by your Spirit, according to your good grace... Will you give us the courage that we need to respond to you in this moment? For us, as followers of Christ, looking for opportunity to serve somebody in this moment. God, I pray that you would speak with power to the hearts of those who have gathered and help for us to find our voice and our courage to serve. For those who are broken and hurting in this place right now, I pray that you give them the courage to just bring it to this altar. Do an amazing work of grace for your glory's sake. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray.